All right, let's see. I'm just going to keep talking and is it better? Is it better? Is it better? Is it better? Seriously? It didn't sound any different to me. We might just have to go for it and uh, we'll get used to it in time, okay? We're still working out the kinks, guys. In fact, tonight, uh, the reason I had to ride, run out right at the beginning that when Becca stood up is because there's a, a leak over in the kids' area. <laughs> and it's just like, we, we were joking about how moving from New Hope, the older building, we were going to get away from the leaks and the rain buckets and things. And sure enough, you know, second Sunday, there, there's always something, right? So... It's probably a, a fool's errand to think otherwise. Okay, um, we got to jump right into it, y'all. There's a, a sort of a longer text that we're reading tonight. And it's one that, according to my watch, I don't have a lot of time to talk about. So how about you stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. We're in Romans chapter 4 tonight. We're going to start in verse 1 and go all the way through verse 12. It's in your bulletin, but also should be up on the screens too. So if you would, follow along with me. Here we go. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works, when he says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. Let's pray. Father, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts in here would be pleasing in your sight. We ask it and pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for standing. You guys can be seated. I still am a bit echoey, but if it's okay with you guys, I'm just going to power through. Worst case scenario, I could switch mics with Brian, but that would take a moment. Is it okay? Is it not too annoying? Okay, let's go for it, all right? Um... Wow, uh, I think I just said the word circumcision more times in one minute than I ever have in my entire life. There was a lot of that in this passage, a little bit of a tongue twister. Um, I said it a few weeks ago when we had another passage like this, that if you have any questions about the medical procedure of circumcision, I'm not the guy to talk to. Pastor Brian's your man, okay? <laughs> he will tell you anything you want to know. Me, I, I'm more the religious, 
biblical aspect of it. Well, Brian's got that part too, so. Um, but t- tonight when we talk about these things, I, we're going we're gonna to be sticking to the religious element of it for sure. Um, the first thing that I want to do, and like I said, I, I, I'm kind of short on time, so I need to jump right into it. We're, we're going to, I don't really have time to sort of do a, a, an ease in on the theme for tonight. So I want to just hit the ground running, and I want to do it with this claim that Paul has made from the very beginning of the book of Romans, and he's continued to make it so far from what we've seen up through these four chapters. And the claim is this, that everything that he has said in the letter so far is traced back to the Old Testament scriptures. There's nothing he's saying about the gospel that is an invention, that is some fanciful new idea or way of thinking about the world. He says, no, my gospel that I've preached to you, I know it's revolutionary. I know it turns the world on its head. I know that it totally sort of, it gives you a new frame of reference for how do you think about God. And yet, if you pay close attention, you'll see that this message was there all along. So I've got up on the next slide. If you go to the next one, Alex, a couple of places where he says this. One of them was all the way back in the very first sermon we did on Romans. Romans 1-2, he says, he's talking about the gospel. He says, which he, that is God, which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. I remember that sermon, and actually I think I took a long time talking about how you could see the gospel present in the most unexpected places in the Old Testament. But then even more recently, Romans 3.21, Paul, he's introducing to us this idea of being justified by faith alone. And he tells us that that idea is present. It says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The law and the prophets right there is capitalized because it's a technical term, meaning the Old Testament scriptures. Which sometimes a shorthand was saying the law and the prophets. So Paul is making this claim that every single thing he's saying about the grace of God is present in the scriptures of Israel if you just open your eyes to it. He's made this claim multiple times, but what he hasn't done so far is prove it. He said it, but he hasn't really backed that claim up in Romans so far. And I would imagine for some of his uh, listeners to this letter that he sent, that probably bothered them. This claim is pretty, pretty big, and yet he's just sort of dropped hints of it. He said, like, oh yeah, the law and the prophets bear witness to it. What? You got to prove that. Because he's saying that the gospel, that God's righteousness is given to people, and not on the basis of their work, but simply by their faith, believing in God, that that is our hope, that is our justification, that is all we have. And he's saying, oh yeah, by the way, it's been present in Genesis, and the prophets, and the historical books, and the Psalms, and the Proverbs. That's a huge claim, and one that if you're going to make, you better back it up. Because I would imagine for many of Paul's listeners, and maybe for many of you guys, your perception of the Old Testament is that it is entirely different from the grace that we see in the New Testament. So you hear Paul say something like, hey, it's been talked about all along. And you say, I'm not so sure about that. You better prove it. Well, the good thing is the passage that we read this evening is Paul trying to do exactly that. 
He's trying to back up this claim that the gospel has been present all along. And when he thinks of what is it that I'm going to use, what example could I give to prove to people that the gospel has been present all throughout the scriptures, he doesn't settle for just a, a small fry of no consequence example. He pulls out the big guns. Father Abraham, baby. He's going like to the top. You guys know Father Abraham, right? Even the sermon title tonight, I have a reference to the song. Father Abraham had many sons. I mean, the guy has his own song. He's a big deal. <laughs> but, he, 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 but this is going to be crazy to you. Uh, in the first century, they probably didn't have that song yet. <laughs> so he was a big deal even before the song. And here are some of the reasons. One is because we call him Father Abraham. He, he was a guy that was the forefather of the Israelites, this entire people group that has existed throughout the centuries, even up to today with people that are ethnically Jewish, they can trace their family tree back to him. He's at the top. He's the father of all the Israelites. He's also the guy who God entered into a personal covenant with. A covenant is a special relationship. And in that covenant, God made him promises he said, I will be your God, you will be my people. He even gave him the covenant sign of circumcision, which we talked about often in the text that we read tonight. Father Abraham was a huge deal to the people of Israel. So if Paul is able to show how his gospel is seen in the life of Abraham, that's going to be a huge step forward in proving that claim that, yeah, the law and the prophets, all of the Old Testament, bear witness to this gospel. It's been there all along. So we're going to see if he can pull it off, if he can show us the gospel through Abraham. And the way I want to do it, let me check my time here, is by giving you guys a little bit of a background of Abraham, who he was, but specifically what he accomplished in his life. Because to really see what Paul is saying about Abraham here, we need to know a little bit about his backstory. Some of you guys probably know it very well. Others of y'all, not so much. So let's just all together sort of paint a picture, some very big, broad strokes of Abraham's life. Um, you can go up to the next slide if you would. So here's the first thing. Abraham left his home. Doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But in the very first verses of Genesis chapter 12, we're told that God spoke to Abraham. At the time, his name was Abram. His name hadn't been changed to Abraham yet. And he said, I want you to leave your kindred, your country, your home, and follow me to the land that I will show you. And Abraham did it. And you read those verses in Genesis 12, and it doesn't really shock you that much, but when you really begin to think about the ramifications of that, that Abraham left behind all that he knew. He left behind his extended family, his support structure. He left behind people that spoke the same language that he did. The city he had known all his life, and he basically went out into the wilderness to follow God, not knowing where he would take him. This was an incredible act of obedience, costly obedience, that this guy was willing to step out and follow God, even though it meant leaving so much behind. 
So that's the first thing I want you to know about Abraham. Let's go to the next one. He was a war hero. Did you know that? This one is one that sometimes is overlooked a little bit about Abraham. Not too long after God called him in Genesis 12, Abraham finds himself surrounded by these kings that had gotten into alliance to fight against him and his people. And the kings win an incredible battle. They take even one of, one of uh, Abram's family members off into captivity with all his wife and children and all their property. And Abram raises up this sort of small band of warriors to go fight against these kings at incredible odds, bad odds. And he wins the battle. He saves these people that have been taken into captivity and he defeats all these kings that have been assembled against God's chosen folks. He's a war hero. He showed incredible bravery and courage in that moment. So we've seen this guy leave home, be obedient to God, even though it was greatly costly. We've seen him fighting and battle with bravery and courage. But the last thing that I want to mention about him is probably the greatest of all, and sometimes the most perplexing of all. It says there in the bullet point, he was willing to offer everything to God. Here's what I mean by that. Genesis chapter 22, Abraham hears God's voice again. This time God is saying to him, do you know your son, your only son, Isaac, the son of promise that I gave to you through whom I'll, I'll, I'll give the blessing that I told you about? I want you to take that son Isaac up to Mount Moriah and there offer him to him on the altar as a sacrifice to me. Well, Abraham, we're not told much about his internal struggle with that. What we are told, though, is that he was obedient to God's command. And he takes his son Isaac up onto the mountain. He prepares the altar and he is ready to offer Isaac as a burnt offering. But at the last moment, the Lord stays his hand. He provides instead a ram that will serve as the sacrifice and Isaac is saved. Now, if you've never heard that narrative before, there's probably like dozens of questions going off inside your head. I know I still have questions about this moment. But what I want you to realize, that the one takeaway we're going to pull out of it is simply this. Abraham showed right then and there that there was nothing in his life that he wasn't willing to offer God. There was nothing in his life that was off limits that God could not ask of him. He said, no, I love and I'm following God so much so I will give anything. There's a lot more we could say about Abraham, but I want to just stick to these three points. The fact that he's a guy that was obedient to God, even when it was costly. He's a guy that was brave and courageous. He fought battles. He liberated the weak and the oppressed. Because I want you to see that Abraham was a fellow that was a celebrated, incredible figure in the people of Israel. When they thought about Abraham, this is what they thought of, these things. Sorry, there's a screen in the back, so when I point back there, that's what I'm doing. I need to remember to point this way. When they elevated Abraham, this is why they did it. 
But there was also something else that sometimes went on in Israel that was much more dangerous. And that is not only did they think of uh, Abraham as like this celebrated figure, but they also began to think that these things were the reason why God loved him. Do you get that? They said the reason Abraham was chosen by God, the reason God covenanted with him is because he did such amazing stuff. It's almost as if God looked at Abraham and said, wow, check out this guy. He is obedient, e- even, even willing to give up things that no one else would give up. He is brave. He is courageous. He is willing to follow me wherever I lead. That earns my respect. And that makes him worthy of a relationship with me. most of the people of Israel began to think that the dynamic that Abraham had with God is that Abraham did these things and therefore God loved him. And maybe that's how you think about the stories too. Maybe that's how you think about figures in the Old Testament, that they did amazing things for God and therefore God loved them. But what Paul is telling us tonight in the scripture that we read is that is not how it works. It's not how it works in our life. And it's certainly not how it worked with the life of Abraham and all the Old Testament figures. He quotes one single verse that totally puts to rest any idea that these are the reasons that God loved him. The verse is this, Genesis 15, 6. Right there in the midst of all the description of the amazing things that Abraham did, we have this one verse I'm going to read it off the screen back there. It says this, and Abraham, that is, believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. He simply believed and God saw him as righteous. Paul quotes that verse almost verbatim in the part of Romans that we read tonight. His version of it says this, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So to put it this way, The reason that Abraham entered into relationship with God is not because God saw his obedience and said, wow, that guy is impressive. It's not because he answered the call of the Lord to leave his homeland and his country. It's not because he was willing to give up everything, even his son. The reason Abraham was in relationship with God is why? You tell me he believed because he believed in the promises of God and he trusted that God was good and gracious and merciful in other words he had faith he had faith the same thing that we've been talking about from the scriptures these last few weeks Abraham has a relationship with God purely on the basis of faith I can't tell you guys how many times I've gotten into a discussion with somebody or had a question somebody asking me as a pastor like well well how were old people in the old testament saved before jesus came the answer is simple they're saved in the same way that you and i are by believing in the promises of god 
and we might be ones who are looking back at the cross of Jesus, and Abraham might have been one who was looking forward to the cross of Jesus, but we're looking at the same thing. The object of our faith is the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. We're saved on the same basis. What's the significance of this? Well, actually, before I ask that, let me just say this. Well, I'll ask you guys. Did Paul prove his point that the law and the prophets bear witness to his gospel? Do you think he, he made his case by using Abraham? I see some people nodding. Yeah, yeah. But Brad, you were there this morning, so you've already heard. You guys should follow Brad's lead. He knows the, he knows the answer. He saw the, uh, the answer to the test. Yeah, Paul, I think, has proved his point by using Abraham. Remember we said that Abraham isn't any small fries here. He is the big figure, celebrated patriarch of Israel. If Paul is able to prove that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, that shows us that this gospel is present even as far back as the book of Genesis. But as not to um, get accused of being somebody that uses a small sample size just for good measure Paul throws in another example this time King David who just so you know is another huge figure in the Old Testament he quotes King David in Psalm 32 he says David also bears witness when he says blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. I know that that verse doesn't say anything about faith, but what it does show is that David realized that true blessing with God is not coming from perfect obedience that earns his favor. True blessing comes from the person that believes God can forgive him, that believes God can cleanse her and redeem her. That blessing doesn't come with earning God's love, but rather receiving, even if it comes through redemption and forgiveness of sin. Even David gives evidence to the fact that Paul's gospel is something present way back in the book of Psalms. Now, let me get to the point that I was saying a second ago, the significance of this. I'm out of time, so I had a couple of ideas that I wanted to share with you guys, but I'm only going to choose one of them, okay, because I don't think I have time to get into all of it. If you want to hear more about it, especially the, the sequencing of the, all the words circumcision throughout the text, you'll have to talk to me later. That's the part that I'm going to cut out right here. Really, the one sort of big takeaway that I want you guys to leave with on this is the significance of the pattern of Father Abraham setting a pattern for us to follow after. So when Abraham believes God and it's credited to him as righteousness, credited to him as righteousness, he sets a pattern that all the rest of us after him follow, even those of us that are thousands of years later. When you believed the gospel, when you followed Jesus in faith, you were, to use the words of the scripture, following in the footsteps of Abraham when he believed. He set the pattern that you're following. Now, we could take this in sort of an unhealthy direction of saying like, wow, that makes Abraham even more elevated and cool than I thought. 
He's a trendsetter. He makes the pattern that all the rest of us follow. He is up on a pedestal so high that we can't even touch him. We could do that, but that's not the direction that Paul goes with this pattern setting of Abraham. You know what he does instead? He brings Abraham down to us and says, don't you realize Abraham is just like you? You're just like him. And this figure that you want to put up on a pedestal and say, wow, look at all the amazing things that he did. Look at his incredible, costly obedience, his courage, his bravery. I'll never be like him. The reality is when it comes to your relationship with God, you are just like him. And if you meet Abraham one day in heaven and he says, whoa, what are you doing here? You're going to say, I'm here by faith alone. And he's going to say, me too. And you'll stand side by side with Father Abraham before a holy God. And you will say the same thing as he's saying. And you know what's going to be? Nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross of Jesus I cling. Which is a quote from a hymn, by the way. That's not, the Bible doesn't say you're literally going to say those words. But the, the gist of it. That I'm here not on my own merit, I'm here because I trust and believe the grace of God through Christ. Abraham will be saying the same exact thing. I was joking with the folks up in paradise today that it took me back to my days of reading People Magazine. Yes, I read People Magazine. I still would if I had a subscription. And there was a section in it that was, uh, I don't know if this is the exact title, but the idea was celebrities, they're just like us. You know, and it was like, you know, Beyonce walking her dog. Beyonce walks her dog too. And Brad Pitt, like, had a coffee stain on his shirt. He spills his coffee too. <laughs> They're just like us. And you know, this is so cheesy that it might be memorable. So that's why I'm going to use it. The cheese factor is turned up to 11 here. But that means you'll remember it forever because here it goes. Here we go. Here's the cheese. Romans 4. Bible celebrities, they're just like us. Abraham's just like us. And that faith that we have, when we sing that it's only by faith that I stand in the presence of a holy God, Abraham, even Father Abraham, is saying the exact same thing. I, I referenced the kids' song today in my title, Father Abraham has many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. Do you know what the next line is? I am one of them and so are you. Sometimes kids' songs have the most profound lyrics. I don't know if whoever wrote that song was trying to get at this idea from Romans 4. Probably not, since the next verse is right hand, left hand, right foot, left foot. <laughs> it went from profound to very unprofound. But when you say that song, when you sing it with your kids, that's what you're saying. The faith of Abraham is what I walk in the footsteps of. And that means that one day before the Lord, we both will have the same claim. Nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. Let's pray.
thank you for your word. I pray, God, that it would sit in our hearts and bear fruit. That we would see. Uh, I pray that part of what reading this scripture did tonight is open up to us the whole counsel of God, the whole Bible, to be having our eyes open to your grace popping off of every page, even maybe in the most unexpected places. And that we, like Paul, would be able to say with confidence that the law and the prophets bear witness to this gospel. It's all over. Lord God, we ask it and pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand up. We'll sing one more. Thanks, Josh. Bless you. What bless you.